This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. The latest in today's headlines, the latest on the Louisville, Kentucky bank shooting. Police release body cam footage of the shootout and the moment the suspect is taken down. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin promises action on the leak of classified documents. The secretary says the Department of Justice is conducting a criminal investigation. In Canada, the entire board of directors from the Trudeau Foundation resigns. It's in connection to a large donation from a Chinese businessman. Find out what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has to say about it. We're bringing you some last-minute tips on filing your taxes, learn the best practices to maximize deductions, and how best to go about asking for a filing extension. And an inspiring story about an eight-year-old cheerleader in Florida. Find out how she single-handedly won over judges in a competition. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer. Today is Wednesday, April 12th. New footage of the Kentucky bank shooting has been released showing the moment the suspect was taken down. But first, we're going to start with an update on the leaked Pentagon documents. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin vows to leave no stone unturned to find the culprit. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the secretary's comments. Austin said he was first briefed on the document leak last Thursday. A Pentagon probe is zeroed in on documents dated February 28th and March 1st. And we've referred the matter to the Department of Justice, which has opened a criminal investigation. Austin remarked that the U.S. takes the leak very seriously and will continue to work closely with allies and partners. And nothing will ever stop us from keeping America secure. The documents allegedly relate to U.S. intelligence and information surrounding Russia, Ukraine, Israel, and South Korea, especially information related to the Russia-Ukraine war, specifically Ukraine's military capabilities and shortcomings. One document reportedly mentions the small number of Western Special Forces troops in the country. Austin says that he has every confidence the Ukraine leadership will do what great leaders do and continue to fight the enemy and not be driven by a specific plan. They have uh, uh, much of the capability that they need to, uh, to continue to be successful. The documents labeled secret and top secret first appeared on social media sites in March. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Secretary Austin also discussed the Indo-Pacific at a press conference. Chinese warplanes and Navy ships were still in the waters around Taiwan after three days of war games ended. Meanwhile, the U.S. and the Philippines have agreed to complete a roadmap for security assistance for the next five to ten years. The countries discussed delivery of priority defense platforms. Those include radars, drones, military transport aircraft, as well as coastal and air defense systems. Experts say the United States sees the Philippines as a possible location for rockets, missiles and artillery systems. Those would be used to counter a Chinese amphibious invasion of Taiwan. CIA Director William Burns shared his outlook on Russia and what he thinks President Putin's goals could be. He warned that Russia could become an economic colony of China as its isolation from the West deepens. Here's Burns yesterday. 
Russia is becoming more and more dependent on China, and in some respects, runs the risk of becoming an economic colony of China over time, dependent for you know, expert, export of energy resources and raw materials in that direction as well. That all adds up, in my view, to a, a huge own goal uh, for Putin's Russia right now. Burns was speaking at Rice University in Houston. He also addressed the leak of highly classified Pentagon documents and says it's an urgent problem for the U.S. Burns mentioned the Pentagon and Justice Department investigation is intense and ongoing, but declined to comment further. Now on to some financial discussion. Is the U.S. dollar at risk of losing its status as the default currency in international trade? Word of a so-called de-dollarization is starting to spread. One signal is a deal China and Brazil came to last week. The two countries agreed to ditch the dollar as a mediator and trade in each other's currencies directly instead. China has a similar deal with Russia, and the list of countries looking to step back from the greenback is growing. Let's find out more about this phenomenon of de-dollarization and how it affects the American people. We're joined live by senior economics columnist for the Epic Times, Jeffrey Tucker. He's also an author and the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Jeffrey, thank you for making the time this morning. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Is de-dollarization really happening? And if so, when will we feel the effects of it? We're starting to see it. Now, there are two features of this. One is the value of the dollar in terms of domestic goods and services, and really goods and services around the world. And it has lost 15 cents of value just over the last two and a half years. Uh, Now, that's what's just called inflation. In fact, about an hour and a half, we're going to get the latest data. And I think we're going to find out it's not transitory. That's a direct consequence of Fed mismanagement. The other feature that you're talking about is de-dollarization around the world. That means the value of the dollar in terms of other currencies around the world. The U.S. has had dominance in this realm since 1944, and that's permitted the U.S. to have a great deal of policy power around the world and always count on a market for its debt. If these so-called BRICS countries are going to start marginalizing the dollar, that's going to change the domestic equation in terms of policy a lot. It's not going to change inflation domestically, but it will impact the, uh, the, the, the status of U.S. debt around the world, which could really restrain uh, the Federal Reserve. A lot of moving parts here, the Fed, inflation. Now, how have U.S. sanctions on Russia affected the dominance of the U.S. dollar in global markets? I I think, actually, that history will record that that was the turning point for the dollar. Since 1944, the dollar has been dominant. Even after the end of the gold standard in 1971, the dollar has been dominant, except as a paper currency. Uh, That has really changed with the the attack on on Russia and the sanctions, because a lot of those uh, assets that were confiscated by the U.S. just arbitrarily were denominated, of course, in dollars. Now, if the U.S. puts its political might behind other people's willingness to hold its currency and bludgeons them and attacks them and criticizes their own uh, policies and actually confiscates assets, then that just discourages people from holding the dollars. So suddenly you have a situation where all these very powerful, important countries are saying, uh, we need to do something about this. Let's get let's dump the dollar. We've got to move on to something else. They can do it. And it's it's starting to happen. That discouragement is pretty concerning. Now, how would the U.S. dollar, how would, how would de-dollarization affect Americans in terms of a potential recession? Uh, I, I, 
Well, you know, I think that the impact domestically is not going to be as pronounced as people might think. The big thing that we have to worry about domestically is domestic de dollarization, namely inflation. That is in, really, uh, it's, it's sticky, it's with us, it's not going anywhere, the Fed hasn't been able to reverse it. Uh, now, de-dollarization will affect us as we travel internationally. That Right now, the dollar is basically gold anywhere you travel in the U.S. We all know this. <laughs> and it's kind of a luxury. That will definitely come to an end. It's also going to seriously hurt uh, uh, international business uh, that's, that's domiciled in, in the U.S. The dollar is just not going to be king. Now, this isn't going to happen tomorrow, next year, or even the next five years. But looking at the long-term trajectory, I think we are at a turning point. Well, thank you for helping us make sense of this really complex issue. Jeffrey Tucker, president and founder of the Brownstone Institute, really great to have your analysis. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And over in Canada, a donation from a Chinese businessman from seven years ago is shaking up the Trudeau Foundation. The entire board of directors is jumping ship. Here are the details. In a statement on Tuesday, the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation announced that its entire board of directors, including the president and CEO, has resigned. This comes as the foundation faces growing scrutiny over a Chinese donation made in 2016. The Globe and Mail first reported in February this year that the Trudeau Foundation received a $200,000 donation from a Chinese businessman. The billionaire was found to have ties with the Chinese Communist regime, and the donation was allegedly meant to influence Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government. In a statement announcing the resignation, the Trudeau Foundation said, The political climate surrounding a donation received by the Foundation in 2016 has put a great deal of pressure on the Foundation's management and volunteer board of directors. The board added, the circumstances created by the politicization of the foundation have made it impossible to continue with the status quo. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he has, in his words, no intersection with the foundation. Canadian lawmakers have been calling for investigations into allegations of Chinese interference in elections. The Trudeau Foundation said it would return the donation amid the recent controversy. The Trudeau Foundation was created in 2001 to promote research in the humanities. It was founded by friends and family of Justin Trudeau's late father, former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. Three directors will remain in the foundation for the time being. Tensions are heating up between Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and House Republicans. Bragg is now suing Representative Jim Jordan. Jordan is chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Bragg accuses Jordan of interfering in his case against former President Trump. He says Jordan is leading a campaign of intimidation. Jordan subpoenaed Mark Pomerantz last week. Pomerantz is a former prosecutor who worked for the Manhattan DA. He's been asked to testify on his role investigating Trump and the Trump Organization. Bragg's lawsuit seeks to block the subpoena. He says the subpoena is unconstitutional. He says it's an attempt to undermine his investigation and prosecution. A U.S. District Judge set a hearing in the case for Wednesday next week. Jordan has until Monday to respond to Bragg's complaint. House Republicans set a field hearing in New York City on Bragg's policies next week. The lawmakers argue Trump is being prosecuted, while violent crime is not. In a separate case, Trump will be heading to New York City tomorrow. That's in regards to Attorney General Letitia James' fraud lawsuit. He faces questioning scheduled to take place in James' Manhattan office.
And former First Lady Melania Trump is looking to dispel rumors about her stance on Bragg's case. She's been mostly silent since her husband's arraignment. Her office tweeted out a statement yesterday. It says news organizations have made assumptions about her stance and cited unnamed sources to bolster their claims. She asked people to exercise caution and good judgment when determining if stories about her are accurate. The statement declares particularly when they fail to cite Mrs. Trump as a source of information. Mr. Trump also made a declaration in an interview yesterday. He says he'll never drop out of the presidential race. The former president says it's not his thing. The Democratic National Committee has announced the location for its 2024 convention. President Biden chose Chicago as the spot yesterday. The Windy City beat finalists New York and Atlanta for the site. Officials say Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker played a big role in the decision. That's because Pritzker pledged to finance the convention with his own money and by fundraising. Pritzker says the state's defense of abortion access was a deciding factor. He downplayed criticism of Chicago being plagued by homicides. Republicans could cite rising crime rates in Democrat-run cities as an issue to voters. Both Democrats and Republicans are zeroing in on the critical Midwestern region ahead of next year's presidential election. The GOP is holding their national convention in Milwaukee in July of 2024. President Biden's drug czar has declared a new threat to the nation. He says fentanyl mixed with xylazine is causing a growing number of overdose deaths in the U.S. Xylazine is an animal tranquilizer with the street name Trank. A federal plan is needed to address the crisis. The Biden administration has 90 days to publish its response plan and 120 days to send guidance to agencies on how to put that plan into effect. And coming up, a fire at a recycling plant in Indiana spewing toxic smoke. Over 2,000 people forced to evacuate. Officials say it could burn for days. And we bring you some last-minute tips on filing your taxes, learn the best practices to maximize deductions, and how to best go about asking for a filing extension after the break. The latest on the Kentucky bank shooting, Louisville police released body cam footage yesterday. It shows the moments when police arrived on the scene and were ambushed. Both responding officers were hit. Please note, this report contains content that some viewers may find disturbing. Here's the video. Shooter has an angle on that officer. We need to get up there. I don't know where he's at. The glass is blocking him. Louisville police just releasing this body camera footage. It shows the tense confrontation with 24-year-old Connor Sturgeon after he fatally shot five of his fellow bank employees. Stop. The video begins with officer Nicholas Wilt and his training officer Corey Galloway running toward the steps of the bank. That's when more shots are fired at them. This is when both officers are hit. We don't see officer Wilt get hit but we do see Officer Galloway fall backward and then down a set of concrete steps. Moments later, more shots are fired between him and the suspect. I think I got him down. I think he's down. Yank the left off now. Yank him down the stairs. That's when the gunman is killed. 
for people to react by staying there, staying in the fire and going back inside the scene, keeping themselves in danger, that's superhuman. Police also releasing these two still pictures, one showing the suspect inside a bank hallway before the shooting and one of him in the lobby area of the building where he waited for officers. Authorities say it was a targeted attack with an AR-15 style rifle. Steve texted a friend, called a friend, left a voicemail, he's gonna kill everyone at the bank, feeling suicidal. More than a dozen people were shot. Police say they have executed a search warrant on the gunman's home and determined he purchased the weapon just six days before the shooting. And a fire at a recycling plant in Indiana is spewing toxic smoke. Authorities have forced over 2,000 people to evacuate. Officials say the fire in Richmond near the Ohio border could burn for days. An Indiana State Fire Marshal called the chemicals in the smoke concerning. Residents were warned not to touch any fire debris that may land on their property. Such debris could contain unknown chemicals. The blaze sent massive clouds of black smoke into the sky. The evacuation order applied to people living within a half mile of the fire. People outside that radius who live downwind of the fire were advised to keep windows closed and pets inside. A wrongful death lawsuit has been filed in connection with a chocolate factory explosion in Pennsylvania. The lawsuit says the candy maker ignored warnings of a natural gas leak before the deadly blast late last month. The family of Judy Lopez Morin, a 55-year-old mother of three, filed a lawsuit. It says workers smelled natural gas that day and notified R.M. Palmer Company, but the company did nothing in response. The lawsuit says the gas leak and explosion were foreseeable, predictable and preventable. Authorities are still investigating the cause of the explosion. It leveled a building in the factory complex. Seven workers were killed and several others injured. R.M. Palmer has not yet commented on the lawsuit. The Biden administration on Tuesday released two options to prevent water shortages in the Colorado River Reservoir. The plans describe how seven western states should cut their water use. One option would be more beneficial to California and some tribes along the river. The second option is likely to be more favorable to Nevada and Arizona. California gets the largest share of water from the Colorado River, while Arizona and Nevada also receive significant water supplies from the river. The nearly 1,500-mile-long river serves 40 million people across seven states. It also generates hydroelectric power for regional markets and irrigates nearly 6 million acres of farmland. The April 18th tax filing deadline is coming up, but taxpayers in states hit hard by disasters have more time to file. For example, New York pushed its deadline back to mid-May, and in Mississippi, where a lot of tornadoes hit, they have until the end of July. And in California, all the storms and mudslides caused the deadline to be set to mid-October. I want to learn more about requesting an extension and some filing tips, so I spoke with an expert. Check it out. Please welcome Joel Griffith, who is a research fellow for financial regulations at the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. It's great to have you on the show today, Joel. Hey, thanks for having me. How does it work if one is asking for a filing extension? Does the payment deadline stay the same, but they have a bit more time to file the return itself? Well, the extension gives you about, about six months 
in which you can go ahead and actually file your tax return. But the amount that you owe is still due on the tax filing date. So if you owe $5,000, and let's say you're not sure about what you owe, but ultimately you end up owing $5,000, if you fail to submit that payment with that extension paperwork, you're gonna pay a penalty, a monthly penalty, on the amount that you actually failed to pay. Now, let's say you owe $5,000 and you fail to submit zero of that payment on the tax deadline. So long as you filed a filing extension, your penalty amounts to 0.5% of that $5,000 that you owe, 0.5% monthly is your penalty, plus interest. Now that is a steep penalty, but it's far, far worse if you also fail to file the extension. If you fail to file the extension on that $5,000 that you ultimately owe, your penalty is 5% per month of what you owe. And that adds up very quickly. That can be up to a 25% penalty plus interest. So it's very important, even if you don't have all your paperwork together, it's very important to go ahead and file that extension and also submit a payment of a, what you think you're ultimately gonna owe once you've finished filling out your tax forms. Ooh, no one wants to pay penalties, so good tips there. And what are some tips you have for taxpayers in general? They say it's a good idea to double check info, take advantage of deductions, and keep records in case of an audit, but what would you say is the most important thing? Well, I think even if you're a middle income or upper income earner without a business, I think it's very helpful to actually utilize a service like a TurboTax or a tax professional. You're gonna save yourself hours of actual um, paperwork compiling and you're also going to ensure that you're going to make fewer mistakes. And also, if you're using tax software such as TurboTax, you're going to have a better chance of maximizing the deductions and also realizing what deductions perhaps you should consider um, taking, such as uh, maxing out your um, retirement uh, contribution. So I think it's you know very very important to to utilize one of those uh, services. Um, second of all. Consider getting audit protection. You know, we've heard a lot about all the new agents that the IRS is auditing. Ultimately, they're gonna hire 87,000 new tax agents. Now, that's gonna be in the future, but even today, you do run an audit risk, especially if you're a business owner, and especially if you are in a higher income bracket. Going ahead and spending a few hundred extra dollars if you're using TurboTax, for instance, that can give you, at the very least, the peace of mind that if you're audited, some of those expenses are gonna be covered, because an audit, is very, very costly. Even if you had paid your tax bill in full, you can still end up incurring tens of thousands of dollars in legal expenses. Maximizing deductions, minimizing audit risk, these are some great tips. Research fellow Joe Griffith, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Coming up, it's game day, but your teammates don't show up. What are you going to do? An eight-year-old cheerleader had an idea. Welcome back. You and your teammates practiced hard and made it into the championship, but none of them showed up right before the competition. What would you do? Well, an eight-year-old cheerleader faced with the situation knew exactly what to do. Let's take a look. When the eight-year-old Peyton Throsby arrived at the Florida State Fairgrounds for the 6 a.m. call of the championship's cheer competition, she was the only team member who showed up. I've been that day when I got there is very, really um, cold and dark. And very early when I got there, I was looking for my friends and then they weren't there. 
Peyton's coaches had the opportunity to forfeit, but Peyton heard a voice of encouragement to perform. Jesus told me my little ear, um, you could do it, you go win it for your friends. If you do, if you, you don't have to do it, but you can if you like, because he said you could do it by yourself or not, because your friends will so be happy. Despite feeling nervous, with her faith, Peyton performed the routine alone in front of a crowd of hundreds. Yeah, I was a really little tiny bit scared. The result shocked everyone. Peyton defeated the other teams. I won first place and I feel really happy I won that for my friends. Peyton's bravery and flawless performance won over the judges. Peyton's mom and coaches were proud of her accomplishment. I feel really happy I won it for my friends. Angela Moy, NTD News. I mean, gosh, that was so sweet and so touching. But I guess, you know, we can say she's the real MVP here. Oh, yeah, that's true. And, you know, Tiff, there's no I in team. I suppose there is one in cheerleader, though. It <laughs> <laughs> is a good point. But that's all from us today on the program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.